Welcome to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. We're going to open the phone lines right now. We're inviting your email as well. We want to hear your take on the recent events in Charlottesville, Virginia. Of course, this has been a firestorm ever since last weekend. We're asking if there should be any limits to free speech and assembly. What provisions should be made if the protesters are armed? Should ideas repugnant to most people be allowed expression? When such ideas are expressed, what should the pushback look like? Is President Trump right to see an equivalence between the protesters and counter-protesters in Charlottesville? Regarding controversial monuments and memorials, how should we make decisions on what stays and what gets removed? We'll try to put seemingly escalating tensions over race in context and look at where we go from here. Here are the ways you can contact us. We already have a few emails. We'd love to hear your perspective as well. Upraccess at gmail.com. Upraccess at gmail.com. Our phone number is 800-826-1495. 800-826-1495. Later in the program, we're going to speak with Marone Benali from Utah League of Native American Voters and with Darlene McDonald with Utah Women of Color Council. In studio with me for the hour, I have Nicole Vivalis, a lawyer in the USU's Office of Research and Graduate Studies. Welcome to the program. Thank you. It's so great to be here. And we have back with us uh, USU Associate Professor of Communication Studies, uh, Jason Gilmore. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Um, let me uh, let me jump in with an email. We've got an email from Diogenes Surfer, which I expect is not his real name, but uh, it's a very clever, uh, very brief. And also, I'll turn to Nicole first on this one. He says, free speech isn't free when it causes pain and suffering to someone else. Sure. I mean, I don't think that the Constitution looks at free speech in terms of the actual value, which seems to be a little bit of what that email is implying. But um, I think that I think that folks are thinking about free speech in a little bit of a mishap manner, especially given the moral repugnancy with which these recent events have sort of brought that into our lives. Um, it's important to protect free speech on both sides, which is the stance that the ACLU somewhat unpopularly took in defending the March permit. And so, sure, it it comes at a cost when other folks don't want to hear it. But that's also true of the other side, right? The very first Pride March in the state of Utah probably was viewed as bearing a cost on those who were living in this state at the time. And does that mean that we shouldn't have it? The ACLU says no, and lots of other folks do as well. Mm. Uh, Jason, your take on this. This is a very it is ingrained uh, not only in the Constitution, but in culture. Yeah, I was reading a piece, I think it was in Politico the other day, about um, the importance of protecting free speech. Um, and legally, hate speech is still protected by the Constitution. And if you look at other countries, um, Uh, other Western countries like Germany and France, they do restrict certain types of speech. In fact, I think um, if I think speech about Nazism, pro-Nazism is actually uh, met with a three year stint in jail. And the United States, to a certain extent, has been kind of separated from that in our uh, belief that all speech should be protected. Right. and that uh, in this piece that I was reading, the gentleman made the argument that by having this speech come out, we can identify it, we can see it. It's no longer in the underbelly of our uh, society. And yes, it hurts. And yes, it is repugnant. And yes, it is harmful. Um, but at the same time, uh, stopping it and not listening to it and not allowing them to speak does two things. One, it drives them underground. Um, and two, um, it goes against the principles that we have, that we believe that you should be able to say what you need to say in this country and that if you feel aggrieved, you can bring that to the government. Um, and so that's a, a very difficult line I think we walk here in the, the United States, um, but one that kind of digs in in our founding principles. Mm. Um, but again, I, I think an important piece to that is that when you allow people to to, to speak their mind, however, their mind uh, at the current state, which can be changed, uh, is, uh, again, it, it, it allows people to at least maybe find ways to come to the table. I know it also leads to, unfortunately, these clashes. Um, and, uh, you know, that's a conversation we need to have at the national level. Hmm. Nicole, it's, it's supposed to be a marketplace of ideas, right? And uh, Thomas Jefferson and others, in theory. And so, you know, if you have repugnant ideas, then a lot of people feel like they should come out and 
and oppose that. Um, what what happens though in a case like this that's somewhat unusual, at least in my in my uh, mind, in my memory, uh, these protesters, these ralliers, neo Nazis, uh, white supremacists, came armed, shields. They did. And we've been seeing a lot of that, I think, in the last five years or so with also just open carry demonstrations. Um, There are folks who are taking to the streets, taking to Target, as I recall, was a a prominent um, instance of this. And so the notion of of the First and Second Amendment coming together and how those two things interplay in terms of public safety and right to free speech, I don't think it's entirely new. But I also don't think that government has really stepped up to the plate to deal with it in a way that makes a lot of sense for their role in maintaining the health, safety, welfare of their citizens. And so, so it does present an interesting argument. And I think it's worth noting that Free speech does have limits, right? So it's not hate speech, as Jason mentioned earlier. That is protected. But there are limits on commercial speech. There are time, place, and manner restrictions on how you exercise your free speech. And so when you look at what governments might do to ensure that free speech on both sides is met, so if one side is heavily armed, how does the other express that speech? And how much do those weapons chill that free speech on the other side? I think that there's room for the government to say there's something that we can do about this to make sure that speech on all sides are, is able to come out and be discussed, be brought to the table, be a part of this marketplace of ideas. And I just I think it's probably going to be a very unpopular stance, which is why a lot of governments haven't dealt with it. But I certainly do think there's room. Firearms are regulated in some ways and speech is regulated in some ways. And I think that there is a comfortable middle ground between those two. Mm. Jason, I want to direct this first to you. Mm-hmm. Um, I th- this is a reaction I've been hearing, um, kind of a reaction of depression. That mm. uh, hey, I thought we were further along as a society. Sure. And so there, as you put, you you do the glass half full uh, argument on, on you know the, allowing these protesters to go forward and and um, and it seems like they're emboldened. Sure. Unfortunately, emboldened by the president. Um, but the president is speaking to, uh, you know, a group of people in the country, white people's grievance, uh, you know, that that sort of thing. Um, but maybe you could speak to the glass half empty sort of argument, which which is that, uh, hey, I thought we were further along and it, it's very apparent that we're not. So I still don't see the glass half empty. Um, that's just not my nature. Uh, but but I, I see what you're getting at and I'll, I'll go down that road a little bit. Um, so... Are we further along or we're surprised or many people are surprised that we're not further along than um, than we should be or that we thought we were? Um, I think that's based out of the culture of kind of ignoring and and sweeping under the rug a lot of these issues that have – this isn't a new issue. This isn't something that stopped in 1968 when Martin Luther King died and then you know flared up a year ago. Uh, or two years ago with Black Lives Matter, right? Um, this is an issue that is is a, a, an inherent part of our country, right? And so um, the, the statement that kind of goes with that is that this is not who we are. Um, and again, another piece I read the other day I thought was really spectacular in saying this is exactly who we are. This is who we have been since the beginning of uh, the birth of this nation, right? Um, these issues have not gone away. But who we are is a people uh, that can uh, do our best to rise to the occasion every time these things, uh, I don't even want to say every time they flare up, but in, on a continual basis, recognizing uh, that we still have work to do. So I was in Selma on the 50th anniversary and I saw Barack Obama's speech and one, uh, speak. And one of the, the things that I remember most from his speech was he said, we can't not recognize the things that we have done you know, the, the, the advances uh, that we've, we've made in this society, right? Um, people f- fear that we're, we're saying, uh, but that by saying we've made all these advances, um, we're, we're saying we don't need to move any further. But he said, we need to recognize them because we, knew, we, we need to recognize our capacity for change. At that same time, we need to recognize that we have gone nowhere near far enough in addressing these issues. And I think that instills in us a a glass half full uh, philosophy, which is this can be addressed and we can move past this, right? We can find ways to to improve upon this. The fact that the... uh, 
the president is fueling, uh, uh, or at least um, the movement is taking this, uh, his statements as supportive of them, uh, is an issue definitely uh, to be addressed. I'm not sure he's going to do it. Um, some of the Republican leadership has attempted uh, to do this, um, but uh, it's it's serving us as a rallying point where we realize, okay, we can't deny this anymore because this is happening in our presidency. Mm. So for all of the people who were like, I'm colorblind, this is not happening, we've, we've made all of these advances, we should stop talking about this, I think it is now clear and evident that that is not the case. Uh, let me, uh, we have uh, Darlene McDonald who is uh, joining us from Utah Women of Color Council. Welcome to the program. Uh, thank you for having me. Uh, so appreciate you joining us. Uh, you, uh, your group, participated in a rally on Monday, I believe, in in, uh, in Salt Lake City. Uh, I want to get you just your first of all your general reaction to the the events in in Charlottesville and the aftermath, including the the president's comments. The ge- the general reaction at first it wasn't. We can't say that any of us are surprised um, that it happened, um, especially after the result of the 2016 election. None of us were surprised, but the aftermath of it is it's, um, disheartening. It's, um, many of us were hurt by it, and we just felt like we needed to speak up and be present and to say, like, like what you just said, that this isn't over yet, and we, we just needed to show up and support one another so uh, show up and and uh, and say what 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 would you most want to want to say? Would there have to be a recognition of white supremacy? That's number one, and what it actually means in the broad sense of the past and the present. We have a lot of work to do. We don't live in a post-racial society, as many people thought after the election of Barack Obama. There are some racial issues that still have gone unaddressed, and we need to speak to them. And one of the things is about white supremacy, and it's been around since, what, 150 years or so. And it takes on many different forms, but what happened in Charlottesville brought it out to light again. And it's a reminder that we have a lot of work to do. And uh, how should that work go forward? I, I think, you know, this. we've been talking early in the program about free speech, marketplace of ideas, um, and I think we would, we hope at least, that the vast majority of people are find these ideas repugnant, the you know, white supremacy, neo-Nazism. Um, but, but these groups are feeling emboldened. They're, they're feeling like their voices aren't heard. They're feeling like they have been shouted down. They, they don't want to be shouted down anymore. What, uh, what should we all do uh, going forward? Well, I think, and, and, and keep in mind, I'm, I'm speaking for, my, for myself as well and some of the conversations that I've had with my peers as part of the Utah Women of Color Council um, but there, there needs to be a healing process as well. And the only way to even begin the healing is you have to recognize that there are open sores. And uh, many of those open sores, and like the gentlemen and the women that went to Charlottesville, they went there to protest the removal of the Robert E. Lee statue and the renaming of that park, to, and I believe they renamed it to the Emancipation Park or something to that effect. And they went there to protest that. So you can't heal if you keep um, symbols of this racist, racist past that we have as a reminder of what that was. We cannot romanticize the Confederacy. The Confederacy was about secession from the Union. It was not patriotic. It was about treason. And it was also about the enslavement of African Americans. That's what it was about. The the battle flag of the Confederacy has no place in the United States of America. That's not what the Confederacy was. It was not patriotic. It was about treason and seceding from the Union. And we have to stop romanticizing the antebellum South. It was about enslavement. 
period. And once we get there and start recognizing what that was about, maybe then we can move forward. That's nothing. You don't see statues around Nazi Germany of Hitler. (laughs) You don't. There's a recognition of what that was, and we haven't done that here in this country. And it's long past to remove these statues and stop waving the battle flag of the Confederacy. They have no place in modern-day society. They have no place in the United States of America, except for maybe in a museum. Uh, Jason or Nicole, I wonder if you have a question for, for Darlene McDonald. I have a question. Yeah. So something, a piece that I read in October just before the election really stuck with me, and it was a piece about Derek Black. He was the son of the founder of the Daily Stormer, and his godfather is David Duke. And it was all about how he grew up in this very white supremacist mindset, and he credits his change of mind and change of heart to a classmate of his at New College of Florida, who invited him to Shabbat dinners repeatedly to try to just get him in a room with folks who he had professed hate for on so many levels and at so many times in his life. And I think that that is so noble of those students, but I also think that it's not the job of the oppressed to invite someone who advocates for their cleansing from society to the table. And so I wonder I wonder what advice you have for people who might be considering undertaking you know, steps like that changing hearts and minds one at a time, and what your thought is on the role of oppressed people and, and sort of the burden being on them to invite these folks to the table to learn something about, you know, about how we all are. Well, first of all, I think it is very noble of the young man to do that, and it is an undertaking. And keep in mind that many, many African Americans, and not even just many African Americans, but Native Americans as well, you get exhausted. You get tired trying to educate everyone about the pains of racism. And at some point, you have to, we just look at you, at, at the non-oppressed, I should say, and say, don't you get it yet? Do the work. Do the research. Come and meet me at a mutual place, and I can talk to you. And then let's go from there. It does become very exhausting trying to teach racism. And many people have said, no more, I cannot do this anymore. You have to do the work on your own. And some people will. Some people will say, you know what, I recognize my, my white privilege or that I come from a place of privilege. And I recognize what happened here in this country 200 or so years ago and how this country was formed. And I want to move forward and bring people with me through education and knowledge. And and we can go there. We can start there. But there are people who will reach out and say, come and talk to me. It's really, really hard to belittle or to have races or bad feelings about someone who you break bread with, as we say. And that happens a lot with uh, members um, who practice Islam, Islam as well. If you have Muslim friends and you have them over to your home, you most likely say, you know what, this is, this, these are not the extremists that I see on television. These, this flesh and blood human beings here that we're talking about and not some abstract people. You have to step outside of your bubble. And you have to step outside of your comfort zone or your backyard and get to know people and say, okay, I get it now. But don't expect people of color to do the teaching. I mean, it's, it's not our job. It's, we, there's information. We have the Internet now. <laughs> it is, there's no reason for the ignorance. It, it, it isn't. We have the Internet. The information is there if you want it. And you do have to be selective in what you're looking up because just as the same as you can educate yourself on racism, you can also step into the website such as what you had mentioned that will, and that's how they actually recruit. 
and end up being, you know, getting the bias information that steers you the wrong way. But meet people, meet them where they are, and talk to them and say, okay, talk to me, tell me about your experience. I want to know. Well, uh, thank you very much, uh, Darlene. Darlene McDonald, uh, well said, uh, with the Utah Women of Color Council. They participated in a rally in uh, Utah um, on, on Monday. Thank you so much for your perspective. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. We're uh, shortly going to be talking with Moroni Benali from Utah League of Native American Voters. I think they were the, the prime organizers for that uh, rally. We have with us in studio Jason Gilmore, uh, who is a USU Associate Professor of Communication Studies, and Nicole Vuvalis, a lawyer with USU's Office of Research and Graduate Studies. Let's take a break, and when we come back, we will... Uh, We'll get to some of these emails uh, that have been sent in. You can uh, get your perspective in as well. Hope that you will. We're talking about the events in Charlottesville and all of the issues that have been raised. Uh, you can call us to 800-826-1495, 800-826-1495, or email us to upraxcess at gmail.com, upraxcess at gmail.com. More following this break. Programming on Utah Public Radio is made possible in part by our members and the Logan Regional Hospital Women and Newborn Center, offering childbirth education, labor and delivery services, and postpartum care. Details on these and other services at loganregional.org. Did you know that libraries in Cache Valley are being transitioned into civic spaces of the future? Researchers have received a grant from the Institute of Museum and Library Services to work with libraries in northern Utah and the students they serve. They will involve students and their families in maker activities, which combine arts and crafts with technology and engineering. Teachers are excited to discover ways to reach more students. Many physics, biology, art, and shop teachers now have their students engaged in these projects. In North Logan, the library is already opening its doors to all kinds of learning activities. Community members are coming to participate in arts, crafts, and computer classes for seniors. This segment of Did You Know That has been brought to you by our members and the Emma Eccles-Jones College of Education and Human Services, committed to mentoring tomorrow's educators, researchers, and clinicians, located on campuses in Logan and 26 other sites throughout Utah. Thanks for listening to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. We are responding today to the recent events in Charlottesville, Virginia. Uh, it seems like an eternity, especially uh, with the, all the ups and downs. Uh, really, only if you take the president's comments back and forth and back and forth. <laughs> I'm reminded of the comedian's joke that uh, usually it's the president who ages. And I think in, in this case, the president will stay the same. We'll all age. And it, it's just so frenetic a pace. Um, well, we're talking about, uh, the, of course, the serious issues that are raised here, <clears throat> asking if there should be any limits to free speech in assembly. Some countries uh, have uh, placed those. For example, in Germany, you can't uh, fly a Nazi, Nazi flag, can't uh, do a Nazi salute. Uh, what about uh, free speech and assembly in the United States? What provisions should be made if protesters are armed? Should ideas repugnant to most people be allowed expression? And when such ideas are expressed, what should the pushback look like? Is President Trump right to see an equivalence between the protesters and counter-protesters in Charlottesville? And we're going to get talking about monuments. We have a couple of emails on this. Monuments and memorials. How should we make those decisions? What stays and what gets removed? We're trying to put the uh, tensions over race in context to look at where we go from here. We have with us uh, in studio USU Associate Professor of Communication Studies Jason Gilmore and Nicole Vuvalis, a lawyer with USU's Office of Research and Graduate Studies. We talked uh, previously with Darlene McDonald with Utah Women of Color Council, and uh, shortly we'll be talking with Moroni Benali from Utah League of Native American Voters. Uh, and my producer says we do have Moroni Benali on the phone. Uh, welcome to the program. Thank you. Uh, so I believe your your organization was uh, the organizer, one of the prime organizers uh, for the rally on on Monday. Why, why did you want to, uh, to to rally? What was what 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 were you? What was the message? Well, well one of it was. I mean, we saw the events unfold on Friday, and um, we talked with each other and said, "Well, we've got to do something to to one make sure that we take a stand against um, the, the hatred, the extreme." Um, hatred that, that is, was manifested in Virginia. Um, and then Saturday happened, and we thought, we definitely need to do something now. Um, but we also wanted to make sure that people left with the clear connection of, of not just 
condemning acts of overt and heinous racism, but also making sure that they understand how that how racism and lives within some very everyday unchecked laws like stand your ground or um, how it may obfuscate um, access to health care for people of color and so forth and so on. And, and that's kind of the message we want to get away because as people of color, we've been trying to talk about these issues for so long and haven't received enough traction. I mean, not to suggest that we're trying to use Virginia as a platform to do that, but it opened up a discussion, a very powerful discussion, and we saw that that was needed. But we also saw that there were a lot of people who were grieving, a lot of people who were angry, a lot of people who were fatigued about talking about race and trying to figure out ways to, to address that. And so it really became this, this, um, this center point of allowing people to express that, all, all, a lot of these emotions in a safe space, but also at the same time find something that they can do to move forward, to actually eliminate um, racism before it becomes something like Virginia. And, th- and that was kind of the idea behind that. I wonder if I wonder if you could expand on on that. What moving forward? What uh, what are your suggestions that uh, people do? People who want to, as you say, eliminate racism. Right. Absolutely. And so, so part of part of the suggestions we have, and we're working right now within the uh, Utah League of Native American Voters, which is a part of the larger umbrella organization called the Multicultural Engagement for Utah. And the Multicultural Engagement for Utah has about 15 to 20 um, organizations of color throughout the state of Utah. And we really came together primarily around uh, civic engagement and civic health among our communities and really wanted to get our communities involved. But at the same time, we realized that there are issues of, of um, uh, uh, issues of race that, that may hinder their capacity to vote, that may hinder their access to act, uh, be part of political systems. And so what we thought is, well, Okay, we have this rally, and the next thing that we're doing right now, we're, we're, in, the, we're in the process of planning is a series of workshops, uh, festivals, to really start centering the conversation around race and action, actionable items of, of what, what can we do every day to eliminate um, race, racism in, in politics. And so one of the things that we're right now working on actively is, is looking at bills that could potentially support um, the removal of of any sort of uh, racial bias in the prosecution of crime, um, in, um, and moving forward in terms of just helping people become aware of, of what racism looks like in, in their everyday lives. Um, and so that's kind of what we're moving forward right now. And there are larger projects that I, I can't quite talk about quite yet that, that we're also involved uh, moving forward in the next couple of weeks. It uh, it seems like with uh, the well, I think most people, reasonable people, would agree. So I'll, I'll remove the seems like um, these groups, uh, you know, the the alt right, the white supremacists, neo Nazis, uh, have been emboldened by you know when you, when you have the president of the United States appearing to uh, side with you, or at least give you cover, you're going to be emboldened. Uh, how best to go forward with the project that uh, that you're working on in such a climate? Right. I, I don't disagree that they've been emboldened, um, and we, we've been seeing that, that repeatedly uh, the last year or so since uh, 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 the president has, uh, when he was a candidate, and even now that he's been a president. So how we move forward, and I think what we, in Utah especially, um, we, we've been given a huge reprieve and, a, and an incredible window of opportunity, given that the, uh, the Mormon Church released a statement, um, I think it was two days ago, condemning white supremacy and um, uh, uh, and the pr- preservation of what they termed, quote, white culture, unquote. And I think that gives us a lot of room to start working um, on actively talking about what does that look like in the everyday form? Because right now, um, it, it seems that in the imagination of a lot of folk, a lot of people, it seems that uh, white supremacy is just primarily connected to um, neo-Nazism, um, the... the alt-right, um, and, and, and they don't quite see that some of the pillars upholding white supremacy um, in terms of just preserving privilege and power kind of exist in laws like Stand Your Ground. Um, and there, there are some scholars who have even gone so far to suggest that it, that it lives and upholds the principles of a capitalist economy, market economies, and, and at this point, we're not going to push it that far. We're just looking at, okay, look, there are people who are discriminated actively by the police. Um, we may not uh, have, we, we have issues accessing health care. Um, 
and, and a whole host of other things. And so at this point, we're looking at those most most material consequences and saying, okay, what can we do with with our friends, um, uh, white, uh, black, brown, whatever, to really start um, making these things um, act accessible to people of color without them having to go through some sort of, or, or feel like they're being discriminated against. And one of the main things is that one of the biggest issues that, that in the last legislative session was uh, the Stand Your Ground bill. And I know the hate crimes bill didn't get, didn't get through as well. And we're hoping that uh, some of our good uh, politicians are, well, are, are willing to work with us and kind of move forward and, and revive these, uh, these bills, one of them to uh, eliminate the Stand Your Ground law and the other one hopefully to, to resuscitate it and get it back on get it moving forward again. And so we, we just, we're focused really on just the, the immediate material consequences right now and seeing what can we do. There's a lot of people wanting to do things. Um, and so we're, we're willing to steer them in the right direction. I wonder, I wonder if Nicole or Jason has a question for her and I? Okay. Um, Merlin Benali, who's with the uh, Utah League of Native American Voters, thank you so much for giving us your perspective. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Thank you so much. Um, the uh, Merlin, I, I'm glad he brought that up. He brought up the LDS Church's statement. There was a couple mm-hmm. of statements. They made a statement uh, on Sunday, and uh, then a second statement. I'll read this. Uh, it has been called to our attention that there are some among the various pro-white and white supremacy communities who assert that the church is neutral toward or in support of their views. Nothing could be further from the truth. In the New Testament, Jesus said, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. The second is likened to it, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. The Book of Mormon teaches, All are alike unto God. White supremacist attitudes are morally wrong and sinful. We condemn them. Church members who promote or pursue a, quote, white culture, end quote, or white White supremacy agenda are not in harmony with teachings of the uh, of the church. A, a strong statement and an il- illustration, Jason, that um, you know major institutions in a community uh, carry a lot of weight, and uh, and so that I guess if you contrast that with President Trump's statements, uh, puts them in even even bolder relief. Well, I think I mean uh, the major thing here is that there is a vacuum of leadership at the top of our nation on this issue, right? So our, our president has, has come out and he has uh, made statements and then he has gone back on those statements, right? And uh, so even at the level of just kind of the waffling that is his statement, um, or that have, have been his statements, have provided this vacuum of leadership. And for organizations like the LDS Church to step up and say, hey, this might be present within uh, our community, um, and we want to make sure that they know um, uh, that this is unacceptable, that this is not a part of who we are, and then they give them the means by which to understand that, right, through Scripture for those who are of the LDS faith. That's how they see the justification of these things, so that is perfect. Um, So to step up and fill in that vacuum of leadership um, I think is incredibly important. Um, and I think, you know, you, you saw the Joint Chiefs of Staff who never step up and and put forth messages, uh, did so. Uh, they wouldn't have done so had there not been this vacuum of leadership at the, uh, at the presidential level. Mm. Um, and so the creation of this type of uh, understanding that we as Americans um, are not about, do not want to be about that, are moving to eradicate that part of ourselves that hates others because of the the color of their skin, because of their background, because they're immigrants, because uh, a number of different reasons, because of their gender, uh, sexuality, that uh, that is not who we are moving towards being. Sure, we have a, a past of this, and we have to recognize that, and we have to work around that. Uh, but we start to see these these organizations and these people step up and fill in that vacuum, and that is a powerful, powerful thing. Hmm. Senator Hatch, the same thing yeah. the other day. You know, the statement about how his brother died in a conflict precisely about this. And, um, and so stepping up, again, at the federal level, beyond just sort of the state level um, and and coming out and saying, this is not who Utahns are, this is not who we are, this shouldn't be who our country is, and let's address that head on is also very impressive. What about, uh, Nicole, what about, uh, so we're talking about the you know, leadership at the top, but uh, many people want to lead from the bottom as well. 
um, in, in many platforms that you can do that in today's world. Um, but what about that contact point? I think a lot of people are going to be wanting to come out and counter-protest. You know, the, what is it, the take the right, uh, I can't remember what they're, the, the, the white supremacists. Take said, the right back take, or something. Take, yeah, something. I can't remember what it, what it is, but they have some more rallies planned. Uh, so you, you come out, and, the, and the, that's where the rubber meets the road with free speech. Sure, it does. And I, you know, you look at those students who were standing around the Jefferson statue at UVA's campus, and you, I, I, I don't think it matters which side you're on. You have to admire their bravery. And there are organizations at the local level doing this work everywhere. Here in Logan, there's an indivisible chapter. Um, there's an ACLU sort of subchapter that's active and working at these issues. The two speakers that you've just had on the show are doing work at the local level, which is really the best place for change to be effectuated, right? Not everybody is just going to go and sit in and have a meeting with their representative at the federal level. But um, but when you know permits are requested for these marches, these rallies in support of white supremacy, the local levels where you can effectuate some of that change, have somebody go down and talk to the permit issue, issuance agency and talk about how you might issue a permit and say that this permit is conditional. You cannot carry weapons. That chills the speech of both sides. And there are reasonable restrictions that we can place on speech and on the, first, on the Second Amendment. And here's how those two things might interface. Help your local leaders understand what's at stake. And that's the way that you can utilize these tools at the local level and have that contact point and really make a difference. Mm -hmm. Local districts being drawn, that's another issue that states all over the country are dealing with and, and district states are being told every day to redraw their districts. Join some of those organizations and do that work at the local level. You have the greatest chance of making an impact. Our local leaders are very responsive. I went to a number of the legislative town halls at the state level legislature had over the course of the session. And you can go up and you can have a meaningful conversation with your elected representative. And and so when folks are angry, I think it's a great idea to redirect that to local action that you can take. And it, it I have seen it make a difference. Hmm. Let me read an email. This is from Susan Jealous from uh, Newton, who says, the people of Logan's Stand Together group are appalled by the events that took place in Charlottesville last weekend. In reaction to the display of hatred and violence in Charlottesville, we sponsored a rally in March in Logan last Monday night. The rally uh, last Monday night included lots of positive signs about replacing hate with love and includes love each other signs, which were designed some time ago by Becky Lewis Winstead of USU's art department. Many participants in the rally asked for the signs in their yards, so Stand Together mounted a project to print and distribute these signs, which also include a list of diverse types of people, such as blacks, immigrants, gays, veterans, rich and poor. If you'd like to order a sign, go to the Stand Together Logan Facebook group and look for information about the signs. Or come and find us in front of the old Cache County Courthouse, 200 North and Main Street, this Saturday, August 19th, between 10 and 11 a.m. And uh, Susan uh, ends, Stand Together is a group of people in Logan who came together last November with a commitment to promote human rights, social justice, compassion, peace, and protection of the planet. That's Susan Jealous from Newton, an example of what you were saying, Nicole. Uh, let me uh, let me jump into this uh, email. This will get us into uh, monuments and uh, and what do we do about this? There's, there has been a trend across the South in some cities uh, to take down some of the Civil War, the Confederate uh, monuments. Um, I recall it was at New Orleans where the uh, the workers taking down the monuments had uh, flak jackets on, and they, they, yeah. they, you know some have done it in the middle of night. This has been very controversial. Um, and so this is an email from uh, Michael Timmons, uh, Professor Emeritus of Landscape History at USU. Uh, he says, throughout history, humankind has created monuments and memorials to events deemed significant. These markers, whether crafted or crude, create a web of meaning that serve to inform and educate future generations. Our understanding and appreciation of what has transpired in the past is enriched by these reference points. One of the most moving experiences of my life was to visit a visit to Dachau, the notorious Nazi internment camp near Munich. Rather than bulldoze the site and pretend it never existed, the atrocities never happened, the outline of the compound has been preserved, a barrack reconstructed, interpretive displays provided, along with pieces, places for prayer and reflection. This is an appropriate response to a landscape filled with conflicted meaning, rather than total purging of history that 
suddenly seems fashionable with respect to mid-19th century American Confederacy. In an enlightened society, we can do better than destroy places of meaning simply for a feel-good moment at the height of passion. Surely we can take a more reasoned approach than that demonstrated by the Taliban in their destruction of the 6th century uh, Bamiyan Buddhas in Afghanistan, or that displayed by ISIS destruction of the ancient city of Nineveh and countless other antiquities, simply because they did not mesh with the political correctness of the prevailing winds of change of the time. Michael Timmons, Professor Emeritus, Landscape History, USU LAEP Department. Uh, Jason, what's your response to this? Um, so I have a different point of view. Uh, and so I, I respect the, the, the notion that we need to recognize our past. Um, and, uh, I mean, I've said it uh, throughout today, um, and I think a number of people are saying this on the national level, that obviously we can't forget um, we can't forget slavery. We can't forget that the Confederacy stood for slavery um, and that these are pieces of the American history uh, that tell the, the, the full story. Um, but I think there's a difference between uh, preserving uh, Auschwitz on the outside of town than preserving symbols uh, that, are, that reign over the public space in these uh, towns and cities. Um, and so there's, there's kind of a, a dual approach, I think, that's happening in the South, right? This is the, these are uh, movements that are happening from Southerners who are taking over their cities and saying, we want to be uh, something different from this. So on the one hand, you have the Baltimore's and you've got the uh, Charlottesville and you've got uh, New Orleans who are taking down and saying, we're done with this, right? Uh, we're done with having these figures of, of our past reign over us as if they were the iconic people we should look to, right? Because throughout the, the town, you don't have monuments to Washington and monuments to the rest of American history. You have monuments to a failed cause. Um, and this, these are words that come from, uh, paraphrasing, from the mayor of New Orleans, who is, who is a Southerner. Um, the other approach is that in those spaces, such as Alabama, where it is unlikely that we're going to see as much movement uh, to take down these monuments. If you go to the Capitol uh, in Montgomery, uh, there's a star embedded in the ground uh, on the state Capitol grounds where Jefferson Davis gave his inaugural speech. Uh, and that, that city is littered with uh, Confederate monuments. It was the cradle of the Confederacy. It was a slave market. It, it's, it's an incredibly complex space. But because those uh, who are still down there and fighting for, for at least equal time uh, and recognizing that the government is not going to take down those monuments, they have started to, uh, the Southern Poverty Law Center, as well as the Equal Justice, uh, Equal Justice Initiative in Montgomery, have started erecting uh, monuments that tell the story of slavery, that tell the story of uh, of civil rights that went through that same location so that at least there are competing narratives to right. that predominant narrative that, that – and if we think about when these Confederate uh, monuments were erected, many of them came um, just in the past century as a way of uh, reasserting – not as a way of commemorating, but a way of reasserting the philosophy of the Confederacy over those states that were part of the Confederacy. So as a way of telling uh, people of color in those states that, hey, we still, uh, we still value this worldview. Um, and that is an, imp an oppressive thing uh, to exist in. If you go on uh, the University of Mississippi grounds, um, there are Confederate uh, monuments everywhere, and they are the ones that are huge and iconic. And to be uh, a, a white male walking through, like myself, walking through those grounds, I don't, I don't feel it quite as much. I, I, I don't like them. I don't agree with the cause. But I don't feel it as much as the uh, numerous students of color who have to go to school there every day and feel like their institution champions a cause uh, that is against them fundamentally as human beings. Um, so I think those of us who, who have the privilege of being white, white males, um, we don't understand what it means 
at the level that people of color understand that, right? Mm. That they feel that. But to begin to understand that, to begin to try and empathize with the, what that means is the impetus for, for, for removing these these monuments, I think. Right. And I think that there yeah. is an important distinction between places of meaning and the erection of new monuments that, as you said, honor the Confederacy, right? So nobody's talking about withdrawing a national park designation from Gettysburg. We're going to keep that. Indeed. That's, you know, you know, that's there. And, and in fact, the Confederate items that are there, the National Park Service came out and said, we support keeping them here. This is a place of meaning Mm -hmm. for our nation's history. That is different than the 30 monuments that have been erected and dedicated to the Confederacy within the last 17 years. That's, you know, we're not discussing the same thing there. Mm -hmm. I think that, you know, when you look at the email that you just received and saying that that place of meaning should be preserved, I think we do have those. And I think we are interested. Our nation as a whole is interested in preserving that history. Mm. But it's a whole other thing to you know have these new monuments cropping up in the 2000s yeah. and saying, well, it's meaningful and it's part of our history and we should keep it there. That's that's it seems to me to be a little more along the lines of, you know, the sort of structural oppression mm. that Jason just mentioned. The the other thing is, I was reading some history this morning. Uh, the, the, Many of these monuments uh, that we're talking about uh, went up in the 1920s uh, in, a, in a time of the resurgence of the Klan. Uh, you know, so there's another piece of this. Let me let's uh, we'll go to break after I uh, get this in from Carl. Carl says, do they have any statues of Hitler in Germany or Poland? We won't forget. That's uh, buttressing the point. And then Carl also says, I don't know why anyone is surprised by Trump's stance on racism. It was very evident during the campaign. You get what you vote for. Let's go to a break, and when we come back, we'll have a brief uh, final segment. Get your emails in. uh, We have uh, several uh, lined up. Thank you for the response. And if you haven't uh, responded on this, we're talking about events in Charlottesville, Virginia, and all the issues surrounding it. Uh, We would like to get your comment in as well. Upraxcess at gmail.com is where you can email us. Upraxcess at gmail.com. More following this break. On the next On Being, the inner landscape of beauty with the late Irish poet and philosopher John O'Donohue. Beauty isn't all about just nice loveliness. Like, Beauty is about more rounded, substantial becoming, a kind of homecoming for the enriched memory of your unfolding life. I'm Krista Tippett. Please join us. Join us Sunday night at 5 on Utah Public Radio. Thanks for listening to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. We are responding to the events in Charlottesville, Virginia. Seems like a long time ago. It was just this past weekend, and a lot has happened. Uh, A lot has been, I think, uh, revealed, uh, put in bold relief about where we are with race in America. And uh, we're talking about it on the program today with Nicole Vivalis, a lawyer with USU's Office of Research and Graduate Studies, and with Jason Gilmore, USU Associate Professor of Communication Studies. And, I hope, with you. You can email us to upraxcess at gmail.com, upraxcess at gmail.com. Let's get right to some more emails here. Uh, This one is from Bruce Ellison from Albuquerque, who is a summer citizen. Ten years, he says. Somewhere in the history book, says Bruce, I recall reading that after wars and disputes, the victors write the history or maybe rewrite it. That's been true in the United States with the European takeover of the West or the slave trade or the Panama Canal creation or the Philippines colonization. We, the North, won the Civil War, so we, the white anti-slavery northern majority, write it up our way. Thus, since the Confederates lost, one can argue that those monuments have no place in quote-unquote our history, and so no need to exist. How they get removed is another question. Recall the toppling of the Saddam statue and the video thereof, or the Berlin Wall. That's Bruce Ellison, Albuquerque, New Mexico, summer citizen, uh, 10 years. Uh, Let me read the next one. This is from Caleb who's emailed us to upraxcess at gmail.com. You can get a quick email to us if you'd like. It's disingenuous, says Caleb, for supporters of Confederate monuments when they suggest that removal of these monuments amounts to squashing history. A lot of these monuments were put in place as a pushback to Reconstruction in the Civil Rights Movement way after the Civil War. A lot of these monuments are ironically um, as the union, uh, ironically in Union states. It's all an attempt to send a signal to minorities that they are still inferior and that the Southern cause was just and moral. I say move them to a museum where proper context for their treasonous roles in the Civil War can uh, be addressed. Any, any comment from Jason or Nicole on, on those two emails? 
No. Sorry. Okay. <laughs> All right. I, I think we've, we've, we've talked a lot about the, the, uh, the monuments. Uh, one more point that I would make um, reading that history uh, in this past week. I guess that's been good. I've been re- reading a lot of history. Um, the, and to your point, Jason, that the, this is, there, these are often in front of courthouses and in places, central places. And so mm-hmm. that uh, when people uh, come, you know, minorities walk past, the, you know, the, the power is evident and and uh, not a benign power mm-hmm. um lynchings many the favorite place for a lot of lynchings was in front of the courthouse Indeed. on the grass in front of the front of the courthouse um this is from steve steve says your panelists make an excellent point about legislation which enables hate activities such as your stand your ground laws there is another horrible trend which may have escaped your notice and that is legislation which condones exactly what happened in charlottesville mowing down protesters with a motor vehicle Legislation has been passed or proposed in several states, including Texas, North Carolina, and I think Florida and perhaps elsewhere, which protects uh, protects murderous drivers who drive into crowds of protesters so long as they have acted, quote, with care, whatever that means. Who could imagine that such things would be legalized in the United States? And sad to say, such pernicious legal and social trends are exclusively American. There is nothing similar happening in other first world democracies. Uh, so that is uh, from Steve. We just have a couple of minutes left. Uh, let me give uh, Jason a minute and then Nicole uh, to, to sum up here. Uh, so I think the conversation that we had before uh, the show began um, was about the fact that we are now entering into a new uh, era of this struggle, of this movement, of these movements uh, in America. And um, so there are a lot of people out there who want uh, to get involved, who want to affect change. Um, and there are those, like the, the two people we, we talked to today, who are finding those ways for them to get involved. Um, but it is important uh, in this era and in all eras, but perhaps particularly important in this era, that people uh, find a way to get involved in their democracy, to learn about their citizenship, uh, and to learn about the power that they actually can affect, and or, or the change that they can affect, and the power that they can wield. Uh, so... I guess I'll just leave it on that note in that um, there are resources out there. Um, look into them. Nicole, what uh, what would you say? On that resources front, I agree. <clears throat> Excuse me. You know, the, the president of the University of Florida and the president of Texas A&M University recently said that they were not going to have these groups on their campuses because of safety concerns. And I don't think that that was just a one-time, one-shot decision that they made. I think they heard from their communities, and I think that they responded with reasonable analysis of what they can and can't do. You know, we started off the segment with, you know, free speech isn't always free, and that's true. And so I'd, I'd encourage people to get involved and and have this, this speech drive out that hateful speech and also to learn something about how you might affect that kind of change to send that broader message. Been a good discussion. Thank you. Thank you to our listeners for uh, responding as uh, well. And you can keep the conversation coming. We hope that you will. Upraccess at gmail.com is the place to go. We've had with us uh, in studio Nicole Vuvalis, a lawyer with USU's Office of Research and Graduate Studies. Thank you so much. Thank you. Jason Gilmore has uh, joined us again, a USU Associate Professor of Communication Studies. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Earlier, we talked with Moroni Benali from Utah League of Native American Voters and Darlene McDonald with Utah Women of Color Council. We thank them as well. Thanks for listening to Access Utah. Next time on Ask Me Another, Penn Gillette joins us at the Orpheum Theater in Phoenix, Arizona, and pulls back the curtain on his distaste of magic. You hate magic. Well, I never was fond of it. No, I never was fond of it. But I, I, I wasn't talented enough to do music, so... <laughs> So join me, Ophira Eisberg, for NPR's Hour of Puzzles, Word Games, and Trivia. Join us Saturday morning at 10 on Utah Public Radio. This is Utah Public Radio, a statewide service of Utah State University and the College of Humanities and Social Sciences. KUSR Logan, KUSK Vernal, KUSL Richfield, KUST Moab, KCEU Price, and KUSU FM Logan. Also heard online at upr.org.